0: I say to my team every now and then, you just have to remember we're not putting candy bars on the shelves at a convenience store, we're really doing something that impacts somebody's child, somebody's
1: aunt, somebody's brother, somebody's parent. Seven out of ten adults spend at least eight hours every day doing something they would rather not. The most common question is what do you do? Because that's sort of how, how to identify yourself in this world, but it's much More relevant, I think, to ask why.
2: Why do you do what you do? If you believe in being innovative, if your people aren't innovative, you're done.
3: Welcome to The Spark, and welcome to the very first show of our second season. I'm Duggan, and we're back with six episodes exploring work, in a global digital age. Much of the world is in the middle of a cultural conversation about work. The amount of time we spend doing it, how to balance it with the rest of our lives, and how we can work together to get the job done. And then there's the quickly changing nature of it all. How can we keep up, stay relevant, and serve a greater purpose all at the same time? In this season of The Spark, we're going to explore how people work in a global virtual world, how people find meaning in their work, and how we connect with each other to make work work. We'll also be speaking with experts in the field of innovation and collaboration, who can dive a little deeper into how those things work, and how they work best. Today though, we want to start with the basics, not what we do, but why we do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I truly do. I so, I do want to introduce
3: you to Patrick with, um, Gaffney.
0: But on my way to work, it's, you know, I take the back roads, which I love.
3: Patrick's the kind of guy who likes to take the road less traveled.
0: And it's about a 15 minute drive, and I think about what kind of problems maybe I left open from the day before.
3: He works as a customer service manager in patient monitoring for Philips on the east coast of America. And as you can probably tell, he also likes to solve problems.
0: Basically, my role oftentimes is, is problem solving and troubleshooting. Some problems might take two, three weeks, and some might take, you know, two or three months to resolve, but I really like the idea of inching along towards that resolution in some cases, and in other cases, drawing on an experience to resolve a problem within 15 minutes of receiving it.
3: Patrick grew up north of Boston in a family of hard workers.
0: So I grew up in, in two family businesses, one being an Italian bakery and one being commercial plumbing and heating. Um, both different
3: he was familiar with 15-hour workdays. Uh, when he graduated uh, from college, he went to work in the financial industry.
0: Insurance. So very, very different types of, of business and very conservative in the, their approach to business, both in behaviour and delivery of products.
3: Which was all fine, but he was looking for something closer to home, in an industry that had a growing future.
0: Full disclosure, I, I really just wanted the proximity. Obviously healthcare is something that's a hot topic in the United States and, and has been for a long time. And so I had some interest in, in getting my foot in the door and that's, that's truly honestly what I did. And I think a lot of people can relate to just getting your foot in the door of, of wherever you might be.
3: You may not realize this, but a few years ago, Philips shifted its focus to health technology. Patrick started out there as an order processor then became a technical training instructor and a project team member. About three years ago, he was offered the role of manager in the patient monitoring department and he took it without a second thought. Patient monitoring means anything that measures the vital signs of a patient. Imagine someone in a hospital, hooked up to a monitor that keeps track of their blood level, heartbeat and blood pressure but there's also the monitor at the nurse's station that helps them to keep track of all the patients. These were the things that Patrick and his team were responsible for. But despite that, Patrick didn't spend a lot of time in hospitals. He was dealing more with account managers and biomedical engineers and was one step removed from the hospital experience. The work was fine. It was a good job. And Patrick's wife was ready to give birth to their second child. Things were going well. And then...
0: My son suffered a stroke that basically wiped out his entire left brain.
3: Sometime during delivery, a clot formed in an artery in his son's brain, and he stopped breathing. He was transferred to a hospital with a neonatal intensive care unit that had several seizures over the next couple of days.
0: I never thought I would have been the parent of a child that this happened to. There's a degree of of shock that goes into something like this. Even when somebody suffers a physical injury, there's an adrenaline that kicks in that sort of masks the the pain of the injury for a little bit. You just have to to be there and step up to the plate and take it for what it is.
3: Patrick's son was in the neonatal intensive care unit for 10 days and underwent several medical procedures. But within a few hours of all of this happening, Patrick realized something.
0: So within about 30 minutes of transportation and then another hour and a half or so of an MRI, he was on three Philips devices that all made sure that his vital signs were where they should be for that entire period. When you walk into any neonatal infant care room, there's a monitor on the wall, but we, we take for granted everything else that goes behind it from the, the software within the monitor to the, the stand that the monitor is on and all the, the different hookups and everything that, that exists on the wall and the, the opportunity we give the nurses and doctors to, to provide care. You start to draw a correlation to the numbers you're hitting into a keyboard every day really mean physical devices. And I think the eye-opening piece for me was my son was in one singular room, but there were about 30 other infants on the same floor, all connected to Philips devices, all having different types of, of activity being performed on them. It was, it was really an eye-opening and, and eye-widening experience.
3: When his son had a stroke, Patrick's life changed in an instant. And with that came a newfound appreciation for the work he had been doing. Now, Patrick's normally a pretty private guy, but he decided to write his colleagues a letter to explain how the work he and his team do every day can serve a greater purpose to real people and patients.
0: They were putting about 40 electrodes on my, my son's head and, and oh, he's probably all of 12 hours old and they were trying to, to map out his, his brainwave activity. And in my mind, I started to sort of rough draft it in my head almost within the first probably 24 hours, just thinking of, of what happened so quickly. I saw so many of the devices that we quote and place orders for all the time that it it couldn't escape me anyway. I was going to write that letter, I think, whether I wanted to or not, because it became a need at, at, at some point within the first probably 48 hours or so. Hi, all. As some of you may know and others may not, I recently welcomed a second baby boy into the world. I'm naturally a very private person, but feel the need to let you all know a very personal experience that I have had this past week. My son was born weighing in at 7 pounds, 7 ounces, and 22 inches long, but all did not go smoothly. Sometimes I felt it was important to illustrate for people who might not have experienced it yet what we're doing and and what, you know, they might unfortunately witness someday. I, I think it's pretty obvious that at some point in everybody's life, they're either going to be the patient or very, very emotionally connected to the patient. And just because that hasn't happened yet, For a lot of people, I just felt like it was a good time to set that privacy aside and step outside myself and give everybody a glimpse into something that, like I said, I never thought I would have been the parent of a child that this happened to. But because I was, it's sort of I felt to a degree I owed my team and the other people in my department this experience. Please do not lose sight of the fact that the tasks you complete each day are much more than that. They provide patients the opportunity for better care, better health, and allow medical professionals to do their jobs of the best of their abilities. I am living it. My family and I have a very long road ahead of us, but the beginning of that road is paved with the work that you all do every single day, and it will get better. I look forward to coming back to contribute with all of you. See you soon. Patrick Gaffney. I saw the end result, I witnessed it, and I say to my team every now and then, you just have to remember, we're not putting candy bars on the shelves at a convenience store. We're really doing something that impacts somebody's child, somebody's aunt, somebody's brother, somebody's parent. I drive to work every day now knowing that if we don't get something to a customer site at some point when we should be, we're inhibiting them from performing services that some end user really needs.
2: This is, this is the spark spark
1: this is the spark. spark this is the spark this is the spark seven out of ten adults spend at least eight hours every day doing something they would rather not.
3: Stefan Hittfors is an author, a former economist, and a speaker on future trends, disruptive change, and innovative leadership.
1: I mean, it's it's the most common question when people don't know each other and they meet for the first time. The most common question is, what do you do? Because that's sort of how, how to identify yourself in this world. But it's much more relevant, I think, to ask why. Why do you do what you do? It's a very provocative question. The point is not to be provocative. The point is to sort of put the finger on something important here because if money is the only reason you go up every day and go to work, then in the end, you're not going to be engaged, you're not going to feel satisfied. All these things that we see so much about, When we talk about trends in in human well-being today and mental disorder, a lot of that has to do with stress because people are actually not satisfied and, and they don't feel that what they are doing every day is meaningful.
3: It's a universal experience. We've all had a job or two that had less meaning than we would have liked. And we've all had the experience, deep down, of wanting more from the work we do. Perhaps you've asked yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And perhaps your answer surprised even you.
1: If you start by asking why, then you understand that ultimately the answer will be about something that makes you believe that tomorrow will be better than, than yesterday. There's no use of doing anything if you believe that tomorrow will be worse if you do it. So m- most people will do something that they believe will help them to make the future uh, a better place. That to me is the most important thing when we think about the future of labor, the future of work.
2: At Philips,
0: our goal to improve 3 billion lives starts with you. What you bring to work can make life better for yourself and others the world over.
2: Whether you're working on technologies used in hospitals or consumer products or anywhere else in the business. Working at Philips is more than just a job. It's an
0: opportunity to contribute to real innovation that will help in our global effort to make life better. Philips lets you explore exciting new possibilities in the world of health technology. Here, you can make every day a day that matters. Help us make life better, healthier, and happier. Don't just challenge yourself. Challenge the status quo. Innovation
3: and you. Philips. Welcome back to The Spark and our series exploring the nature of work and collaboration in a global digital age. It's the intense moments in life that make us take stock. When we feel the weight of tragedy or joy, we reconsider what we thought we knew and what we took for granted. Some of us change jobs or move to a place where we'd rather be living or decide to spend more time with our families. Patrick Gaffney's son had a neonatal stroke, and instead of doing any of those things, he sent a letter to his colleagues, telling them how the very thing they were working on helped his newborn son, and they responded.
0: I expressly wrote that I wasn't looking for any pity, I wasn't looking for any sort of feel bad for me or anything like that. It was really just to, to illustrate for people the importance of, of what we do. And I think maybe there was a degree of more depth of involvement and engagement with with people for a period of time.
3: Patrick only sent his letter to his department via email, but it quickly made its way to a much larger audience throughout the company.
0: Young mothers, older mothers, um, experienced fathers, inexperienced fathers, and everybody had a, a different reaction to it. I had some people reach out to me that I never would have expected to people that were maybe two or three or four levels above me, but in a different capacity altogether. And it really meant a lot. A lot of people in a way, some form or fashion said, thank you. This sort of gives credence and and lends a little bit of weight to what we do every single day.
3: Patrick's inspiration was relatable and transferable, even to people outside of his department regardless of their function, location, or culture.
0: I think it opens some doors of conversation to say, yeah, we have some challenges here process-wise, and we have maybe a couple of different cross-functional groups that might not be, you know, seeing eye to eye, but we need to keep that that end result, that, that desired end result in mind and work together. It's bigger than, you know, the singular issue I'm facing right now.
3: Patrick wanted to inspire his colleagues to provide proof to them that the things they were working on had meaning, that they had a why, that it wasn't just a job, and that the innovation that went into creating those products was critical to their meaning.
2: If you believe in being innovative, if your people aren't innovative, you're done.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ron Tite. Ron is an author, speaker, and founder and CEO of Church & State, an advertising agency based in Toronto. His work is all about innovation and collaboration, and he knows the value of having employees that see their work as more than just a job.
2: When we present to our people, when we present to Employees within an organization. We say this is where we're headed as senior management. We've made these decisions These are the things we're going to put in place. These are the new products. We're coming to market with this is our mission This is our vision and and that looks great on paper and these are our values If you go to our website and you click our values Then you'll see that our values are transparency and accountability and creativity But until the individual, the frontline employee behaves in a way that is creative, that is transparent, that is accountable, those values don't mean anything because I should experience your values. I shouldn't read your values. And so more and more, it is not about the message. It is not about the marketing. It is not about the strategy. It is about how that stuff comes to life by individual people within an organization.
3: Ron has an interesting history.
2: For 15 years, I was a touring stand-up comedian. And simultaneously, I was an advertising copywriter and creative director. So I lived...
3: Ron found value in both of his jobs. And oddly enough, they both fed each other.
2: And so I found out really early on that the stuff I did as a stand-up comedian actually made me, you know, a better advertising person. And, what well, weirdly, the advertising person in me made me a better stand-up comedian.
3: Pitching to a boardroom full of executives was a lot easier than an audience at a comedy club. You didn't get booed off stage or heckled. But having that experience gave him the confidence to start his own company. And being a comedian taught him the value of working collaboratively with a team.
2: In addition to being a stand-up, I did perform in a sketch troupe And that was a completely different dynamic. It takes longer. It can be more frustrating. You end up spending time doing things like getting people on side and building consensus, which have actually nothing to do with the actual work. But usually the result is better. You know, a sketch troupe where you sit down and you write a script and you perfect those things can be funnier than, than what a solo person stands up for.
3: And there's another upside to working collaboratively. As individuals...
2: We don't carve out the time we need to do the creative thinking that's required to come up with the best ideas and the best solutions. When we collaborate, that needs to be scheduled. You can't just do it at midnight. So you have to book a time. You have to align calendars. you got to get into a boardroom. You have to dedicate the space. you got to clear your mind. You have to put your phone down. And so... When we collaborate, we're just so much more focused as an individual and we contribute better. And when we have all those people who are completely open-minded and focused on the task at hand, it's no surprise that we end up with better ideas.
3: But for Patrick, the collaboration isn't just with his colleagues. He sees his clients as part of the team too.
0: Let's work together to get us what each other needs to accomplish the common goal. And even though one's a business and one's a customer, there still is a common goal. And it's just healthcare.
3: In the meantime, Patrick still takes the back roads between home and work.
0: You need to find fulfillment in both of those and leave either place happy in order to get to the other place happy and so it's I just I love that ride. Originally I did my job to be gainfully employed because that's sort of what society dictates Um, and you always read these articles and they're sort of cliche about finding fulfillment or you know finding a, a purpose. I now do this job for that fulfillment. I do this job because I really enjoy and appreciate the opportunity to Help people that are probably going to eventually be in a similar position as me.
3: And we're happy to report that Patrick's son is doing well.
0: The second day of his life, they predicted that he, he wouldn't walk, and about a week ago, he took his first steps. So it, it's been pretty great, yeah. He's, he's speaking um, words, which they also said he would struggle with. The neurologists. Uh, when we go visit them, say he shouldn't be as happy as he is considering he's only operating off of half a brain. He's just an exceptional kid. He'll never legally drive a car, but, I mean, there could be way worse things. So, you know, it's just you shift your goal from, oh, I want to visit an island in 15 years across the world to, okay, I need to be able to afford a self-driving car in 15 years. You know, it's just, it is what it is.
2: If you're
3: looking for a career that's a little different, but makes a lot of difference, check out careers.phillips.com. And if you haven't yet, go to your podcast app and rate and review this podcast. The Spark is produced by the Phillips Recruiting Team. Available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Prue Duggan. Thank you for listening. Philips. Next week on The Spark, Eni Jenga is part of the Philips Innovation Hub in Nairobi, Kenya, and she wanted to help those suffering from mental health issues.
2: In Kenya, we only have about a hundred mental health uh, professionals in a country with a population of about 47 million. We do have counselors and, and coaches, but they're not enough to serve the population that we have. And then even when they're there, they're very expensive. So looking at all those issues, we said, why can't we build a solution that would help bridge this gap and lower the level or the, the barrier to entry for access to care in that particular uh, s- sense?
3: Find out what her solution was next week on The Spark.